Welcome to the More Exemplary Podcast, a study in joyful living. I'm your host, Nick Bogner, a marriage and family therapist practicing in Pasadena, California. In this podcast, I'm talking to some of my favorite professionals, both inside and outside the world of therapy, to learn how they cultivate happiness by accessing their own joy and enriching the lives of others. Thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm so glad you're with us. Folks, welcome back to the More Exemplary Podcast. I have a really wonderful special treat for you this week. I have my very own associate, Phil Stark, who's going to spend some time with us this week talking about something that a lot of clinicians claim to be good at, but in my experience, very few are really experienced at and talented with in a nuanced way, and that's working with creative clients. Phil has an incredible backstory of how he got into and out of the entertainment field, which he'll share with you in just a moment. Um, and the ways that he is able to use that experience to help people in or maybe leaving the entertainment business to lead a more authentic life that is more within their values. I will say candidly, I would never say this to his face, but he is a total delight to work with and to supervise. And I have so much respect for him as a clinician. So hopefully all of the wonderful things that I have noticed about him in the last 18 months will be totally clear and apparent to you as you listen to this. So enjoy. Folks, welcome back to the More Exemplary Podcast, where we talk about clinical issues, as well as ways to lead a more complete and fulfilling life by living through your values. I have a very special guest today that I'm very excited to share with you. And I want to say that in each of our lives, there are many clinicians that are destined to intersect with us, whether it's um, as colleagues or whether it's as classmates um, or just people we're networking with, but you always remember your first. And today, I'm pleased to introduce you to my very first private practice associate, Phil Stark. Phil and I have been working together for a year and a half now. Working in my private practice is merely one facet of what Phil does. He has also authored the book, Dude, Where's My Carthasis, which is actually uh, the best-selling therapy book currently at the Hollywood Burbank Airport. and Best-selling overall, not just therapy, overall. Oh my God, you got to, I'm sorry, you told me last, so clearly he's... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching it climb the charts, and I'm sure that by the time that this podcast airs, even that will be obsolete um, in terms of the heights that this book has to climb. Dude, where, where's my catharsis? Is the book Phil Stark AMFT is the associate, and we're here today to talk about, among other things, working with creatives. And as I mentioned to you before we started, Phil, I often don't give a shit about what people have to say when they talk about working with creatives because, in my experience, they are just in it because they sort of enjoy working with people with creative minds, and everybody likes that. But you have a real pedigree in creativity. You have a real pedigree in the entertainment business that I think really informs your work in an important and interesting way. Would you be willing to share with us a little bit about how about your past and how you come to the business? Yes, and and thank you so much for that introduction. Yeah. I had a long and at times successful career as a screenwriter. My first writing credit was on South Park, the first season Mm -hmm. of South Park. And from there, I, I ended up on that 70s show, where I wrote on that from for the entire run. And um, then I, I had a long run of producing and writing pilots, pitching things. Uh, and then feature-wise, I wrote the movie Dude, Where's My Car? And uh, after that, I had a lot of rewriting and pitching and screenwriting work feature-wise. But then eventually that really slowed down. And like many of my clients, I questioned what I would be doing with my life and whether I would retire like this. And I didn't know what to do. And to be, long story short, I got into Therapy became a therapist, and I love it, and it's amazing. And I especially love incorporating my previous experience as a writer into my work now as a therapist. Outstanding. And let's talk about that. That's obviously an amazing 
resume. I'm sure there's a million stories in there. How do you take that resume and use it as a part of your work? Like, how do you bring that into the room to help people? Some clients uh, I, I work with more specifically on some of the practical parts of the business in terms of both approach to writing, uh, approach to taking notes, approach to networking, how to present yourself, balancing, the protecting your creative instincts with the realities of the business, um, which I was a little leery about doing at first because I felt maybe this is too much coaching. You know, this isn't mm. therapy. I'm not talking yeah. about it. Emo- but uh, I find that my clients really responded to it and often turns into a greater discussion. You know, for instance, when we talk about taking notes, we talk about being defensive and are we feeling attacked and what makes us feel passionate or defensive about that. So it gets, you know, right into the therapy mindset. And then um, also, you know, some of my clients who are active writers who write sketches or comedy, oftentimes I get into writer mode. I, I tell them, I'm like, hey, whoa, you're getting me into pitch mode. I'm really getting excited. And we might pitch an idea about something they're working on, but it's always in context of their psychological background. And, and you know, we might be talking about a client's mom and how her anger informs their everyday life. And then next thing you know, we're pitching a sketch where somebody's mom is riding around on their shoulder and has kicked the angel and the devil off. And it's just mom. Right. Um, so it, it's interesting balancing sort of what I would say maybe is my creative or writing muscle with uh, the therapist hat. I mean, that strikes me. I'm remembering when I was a very brand new therapist and I was in a, a children's therapy program, we'd have to develop different little interventions to use with them. And sometimes it would be like taking a game and then sort of making it about them. Do you know what I mean? Or taking an activity, mm-hmm. developing mm-hmm. an actual drawing of a tool belt and talking about different tools they could use. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you are able to use this context of like writing, pitching, creativity to create an intervention mm-hmm. that helps these clients understand themselves a mm-hmm. little better. And that's got to be so satisfying on some level for them, because I'm sure that process is is psychologically impactful anyway. So the process of constantly putting stuff out and being vulnerable in that way must mm-hmm. bring up a lot of stuff for your clients. Has that been yeah, your experience? Yeah, oh, oh, totally. And um, I think, you know, it's interesting because towards the end of my career, your credits can open doors for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you have a hot movie or a hot show, people will want to meet you. And for a long time, that 70s show and South Park and Dude, Where's My Car were things that got me in the door. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of my career... And, you know, years after that movie, it was like, okay, well, what have you done for me lately? Sure. And so those credits didn't have the same flair. But when I sit down with my clients who are writers who see my credits, they really value my experience. And I'm able to relate stories about uh, whether it's stories about how I took a particular note and handled it well, or if it's about being in a hot tub with Matt and Trey at a writer's retreat and everything in between. Um, I think that they value uh, the sort of experience and guidance I can bring to them sometimes more practically, but also like in a sort of a... Uh, having been through a lot of what they've been through in an emotional kind of creative process uh, angle. Question for you. Are we positive that was a retreat? Because I know it was the late <laughs> 90s, early 2000s, and I know the business yeah, worked very yeah. differently back then than it did now. Um, yeah. Have you had to process any of this stuff in your own therapeutic work? Well, it was interesting. That was my first real experience as a quote-unquote writer. And mm. uh, it was interesting going from South Park, which is very loosey-goosey and sort of do it our own way, to that 70s show where uh, there were no hot tubs, but you did get an office. So it, oh, was, it was nice. That's pretty nice. Well, similarly, um, you and I both interned at the social or Southern California Counseling Center. And I don't know if they shared with you any of the, any of the history of that, but in the actual 70s, they started out as an organization that was very loosey-goosey and there were a lot of hot tubs. And there are a lot of stories about mm. those hot tubs and some stuff that went on. And fortunately they have, <laughs> they have migrated out of the seventies and into more of a, that seventies show model where they're 
very professional and they work in offices instead of in the context of a hot tub. So it's really interesting that your writing career maps on so perfectly to uh-huh. the Southern California Counseling Center <laughs> journey. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so what did you need when you were deep in that field? I mean, obviously you attained a, a really wonderful level of success. Like what does a person who's in the field really need in therapy? Mm. I, it's clear to me what people need when they're not yet successful. What does a person who is currently successful and working in the field need from therapy? That's interesting. Um, well, let me start with, with younger writers and people who are just getting into the business. Sometimes it's the practical aspects of how to network, for instance, mm-hmm. and, sure. and encouraging them. For instance, I often tell a story where I personally had sent out scripts to a bunch of people and one mm-hmm. particular person on my list did not respond within a week. Uh, it was an email to solicit them to see if they would like to read a script. Sure. And about a week went by and then I looked at my list and I crossed their name off the list. I was like, fuck that person. Yeah. And then I realized, well, hold on. Then on the next Monday, I was like, oh, wait a second. Who knows what they're doing? I'm just going to fire off an email, very respectful, very nice and see and follow up. And I did and they didn't. They didn't respond. And then I made it my goal. Every, I think, two and a half or three weeks, I sent another email saying, hey, hope you're well. I'm just checking back in. I don't want to bug you. I'm excited to talk to you, yada, yada, yada. Uh, about four months later, I get an email reply from this executive saying, I'm so sorry. I've been slammed. I have a new job, in fact. And I was just thinking of you because we have this project with this actor you've worked with. Whoa. I'd love for you to come in and pitch on it. And I was like, that's wonderful. So I often tell clients who project their own fears and insecurities onto the people that we don't know for sure what they're doing, that story, just to show them that, you know, you have to realize when you're projecting your own anxieties and fears onto somebody else and realize that that's, that's only going to result in bad things for you and that you yeah. can think more positively about that and and reach out to people and also not feel like you're your bug. I don't want to bug somebody. I don't right. want to annoy them. Well, you can be respectful and somebody will always tell you to be annoyed. That's another thing I tell them. I want to challenge you, client. Be annoying. See if you can be annoying. <laughs> try to get try to get this person to email you and say, "Hey, I'm sick of you. Please stop." And sure. I bet you a million dollars it will not happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and I love this story in particular because to me it speaks to that delicate balance between the coaching and the therapy that you were talking about. I think on its face, there's an element of coaching that is present. But secondary in that, which is like, yeah, write a bunch of emails, take up space, you know, like you don't have to like, as somebody who's done it, I can tell you that it's okay, I can give you permission to do that. And that's a successful business thing, right? Mm -hmm, And that's real. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then also inside that there's real boundaries work that you're doing Mm -hmm, there with people. mm -hmm. You're saying like, look, you might have this sort of rigid internal boundary about not wanting to take up space, not wanting to burden people, um, worried about you know, upsetting or offending people. And that's you making up their experience before they have an opportunity to have it. And mm-hmm. that's really, that's one of the boundary failures we can have that be, can be really disrespectful to other people. Similarly, if you have a really porous outer boundary, you can definitely take the ball with no response and run to it anywhere you want. You can run from anything to from this guy's an asshole all the way up to like, this guy's ruining my name all over town or he hates me or, you know, anything. You can go anywhere with that. And all of that is a reflection of a person's own boundaries. So I love that people are able to get you know, some real wisdom and experience from you and also a real lesson in what their boundaries look like and how they're affecting their professional trajectory. Yeah, I really like that distinction between the coaching and the boundary work and how they inform each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's so good. Well, so you were right before, and I wish I had been recording at the time, when you and I were chit-chatting, you started talking about the freedom to explore. And rather than to try to paraphrase what you said, I'm going to just give you that cue and I'm going to say, 
Tell people all the, the wonderful stuff you were telling me about the freedom to explore. Right. Well, I, I had mentioned an article I wrote recently about uh, what screenwriters can get out of therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I explained how when I was starting out as a writer, I was very particular about outlining everything in the script that I was writing. So I knew exactly what each character was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew how it was going to end so that when I wrote it, it was just coloring in the, the, the lines. Right. And I had always heard writers say things like, well, I like to sit down and let the the, the characters tell me what they're going to do and surprise me. And I always right. thought that was bullshit. I was like, oh, right. that's, you're never going to finish a script. Then I realized that I think that when you take the approach that I did, you get formulaic situations where characters do things that don't feel quite natural. And they seem like they're more in service of the plots. Mm. And I appreciated later on the idea of creating a wonderful character and then sitting down and just writing some scenes and seeing what happens. Because I think that you get more satisfying stories when characters do things that are really true to their character as opposed to the service of the plot. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up in sessions with clients. And then I, I make the, the the comparison that it's very much like therapy. When you come into therapy, you might believe you're going to be talking about X, Y, or Z uh-huh. and that the goal is to talk about that. And it can be scary to sit with the the knowledge that you don't know maybe what you want to talk about. And mm-hmm. to sort of explore and fish around. But then ultimately, you often find something really worth talking about that is ultimately the thing that you realize in retrospect was the thing you really needed to talk about. But uh, it's hard to do that because it's more work. And right. no, if one thing I know about screenwriters, they don't want more work. <laughs> you hear that, screenwriters? You've been outed on this podcast <laughs> by one of your own. Um, I expect you to get some emails about that. Right. I also like that, you know, I think that without putting too fine a point on it, I think that's also kind of an analog for a life, right? I mean, if you if you already know where you need to be or who you need to be 20 years from now, and then everything you do is like constantly trying to wrangle yourself into whatever this thing was that you decided you wanted when you were 25 or 30, then you really do miss the opportunity for your real self to come out and make his or her, her or their own path mm-hmm. um, because it's all in the service of this plot that you've written. Um, whereas if you can give yourself permission to grow and develop without knowing where you're going to go, I think mm-hmm. we can be a little more authentically ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In fact, that, that reminds me of some of the work I do with clients on phase of life issues where they might have uh, be uh, you know mid- middle of their career or in a relationship or family at a point where they're doing what they thought they had wanted to do all along, but something doesn't quite feel right. And something doesn't feel fulfilling, but they they think they might like to make a change, but they don't know what it is. And it, it takes a lot of courage uh, to admit that you don't know and yeah. to, to wander with that and sit with that. And uh, I often relate my own personal story between my screenwriting career and finding my new career as a therapist where I did that. And it sucked and it was scary. And uh, it took me a long time to uh, it, it really embrace that. But ultimately, it makes for a more satisfying ending, I hope. I mean, it seems to me, as a person who's talked about your work with you, that it indisputably comes up with a better ending, at least for the people that you're serving. I can guarantee that. Uh-huh. Here's a question for you. And I, I'm actually maybe going to take us off topic for a little bit here, because I've actually gotten a weird amount of requests lately for career coaching. And I will tell you, as a person who once went into therapy and tried a few different people years and years ago, before I knew I wanted to be a therapist, to try to figure out what I wanted my next career to be. And having spoken almost exclusively to people who have had negative experiences, like sort of getting help for making career changes, what in a therapeutic sense have you been able to offer people who are having that kind of ambivalence about um, where they are, where they want to be, what they might want to go out and do? Do you have any insight on that? No, that's really interesting. I have 
several clients who are, uh, I would say, the similar age and career uh, uh, areas me. Uh, often they're in the creative fields and they're, they've had success in the past as either actors, writers, producers, directors. But they're realizing that it's not like uh, you get a job at IBM for 40 years and then you get a pension. Like a In fact, nobody job. that's a, a common a maxim about the business is that nobody ever says to you, hey, you, know, you had a good run. You yeah. find something else to do. You can always get a meeting. You can always get an agent or manager if you go down low enough on the totem pole. So with those clients, it's not so much about maybe what a classic a career coach would say, which is, okay, I want a list of 10 things you really enjoy, or what did you study in college? It's more like asking them questions about what they're doing. Is it fulfilling? Do you enjoy this? What what did you used to enjoy that? How does that change? What do you do now that you enjoy? And, and often just giving them permission or being curious about their inner world, they will often come up with the answer themselves. And I might be able to say something like, you know, that's interesting. You're going on this audition now and you hope you get it because last week you said, man, uh, if I if they said if they said to me if my agent called me and said you know what I don't want to represent you anymore I think you should do something else they they, they would say I, I feel weight off my shoulders interesting okay and it's really good to reflect on that you know I I see you're doing this because you you, you said you love it and you've done it for a long time but last week you said you'd like to maybe wish somebody would tell you didn't have to do it yeah and, and, you and put a so, ring on it right right so it's it's not often about like here's the five things I think I could do it's more like. You know, the comparison I would make is that sometimes people hold on so tightly to their identity previously that it prevents them from reaching out and grabbing what is available to them. And so it's not so much about pointing out what's available to them. It's about encouraging them to let go of what they're holding on to and have open arms and hands to to embrace what's next for them. I love that. I'm stealing it. And let me ask you. Roughly, how long does it take for people to to internalize that? Like, like I'm imagining myself at the age I was when I was making my career change, which was, you know, roughly like early thirties. And I think if somebody had said your identity is tied up in this thing, they would have been right. But that would have been a terribly big concept for me to take in. Like how long does it take for people to sort of begin to internalize that? Well, the the experience that I'm talking about has usually been with clients who I would say maybe are in their mid forties who have had a Mm -hmm. good 10, 15, even 20 year run in the entertainment industry. Right. Uh, whether they had a hit show that they wrote or a, a starring role that got them a lot of work. And often, you know, they come to therapy because they're in a place of pain. Uh, they're not coming because, hey, things are going great, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future. They're there because, hey, man, it's the last couple of years have been rough and yeah. it's not the same as it used to be. And I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it can be so tough to give that stuff up when it's nominally great. And in fa- even if it's in favor of something that's actually yeah great. and it's it's particularly difficult if you've had success in this industry in the past right. i mean i remember i wrote i think dude came out in like 1999 2000 and i can confirm that it did because i remember seeing it in theaters okay you and i've never talked about that but <laughs> great great <laughs> yeah. um and it's very difficult to talk to people and say you know you know, 20 years, 15, 10 years after that and say, man, I'm really unhappy with what I'm doing. I don't like it. And people will say, well, you did it before, man. You'll do it again. Right. You yeah. had such success. And and, and then you sometimes, you, you, yeah, you're right. And so that's the great thing about a therapist, right? The therapist doesn't say, hey, man, it'll work out again. Don't worry about it. You yeah. Just keep writing. The therapist says, oh, really? That's interesting. You're unhappy. Let's yeah. talk about that. Makes room for your, for your feelings and for your discomfort, right? A therapist mm-hmm. can tolerate Mm-hmm. Your discomfort with that thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's got to be so refreshing amidst the sea of other voices that have that other message for you. And it's very insidious because these are positive things that people who love you are saying. 
Yeah. They, they, they want you to be happy and yeah. they're only trying to support you in the way that they know how. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, again, this is why I think that your relevant, your uh, experience is so relevant to the work that you do is that for those of us who haven't been in that field, there would be no understanding of what the before beginning during and after of that process was like for you to write that thing and and why you would be frustrated with it to me who's never done that it would be like yeah you know you sit down you write a script you have a bunch of funny cannabis jokes and then that's it and then you're famous and you get paid right and for right. and i'm sure that your story of that if and when you choose ever well, to write it yourself that, would be very different that's right? that's pretty much how it works for me <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> well, why are you doing that? Why are we, right, why are we right. sitting here talking? <laughs> you did it once, Phil, you can do it again. See yeah, exactly how yeah. easy of a tri- trip that is to fall into. That's why yeah. having a gifted clinician can be so important, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's amazing. Well, so what's the message that you want to send people? As you know, the, the theme of this podcast is clinical issues, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also about leading a more authentic lifestyle and living within your values. What would be a piece, and I'm putting on the spot here, what would be a mm-hmm. piece of wisdom that you would have for people who are maybe dissatisfied creatives in the business who want to lead a more authentic and more enjoyable life? Well, you know, I, I thought about that. I know that your topic is a lot about values and how they guide you as a person, as a therapist. I think it's really this real sense of self-awareness, which I guess would encompass honesty and curiosity. Mm-hmm. For instance, as somebody who's been in the entertainment business and worked in that field and, and then eventually changed, towards the end, I was very tunnel-visioned and I could only define myself as a writer. And I was never curious about anything else that I might want to do. And I was never curious about thinking about whether I was unhappy. And um, it's interesting as a writer because oftentimes we don't think about that with our characters. The characters right. do what we want them to do. They they do what they what we need them to do for the plot. And it's difficult sometimes to be like, this character, would he really do this? What does the character want to do? And I encourage clients to think about that uh, in themselves. They are the character in their movie. And they're, they're halfway through and they're like, shit, I thought I had the ending all figured out. But I, I guess I don't. So the challenge is to really be curious and open and supportive of yourself as you admit that things aren't working out the way you thought. Embrace those feelings of failure and sort of be open to uh, the possibilities that, that are out there. That's amazing. Well, so first off, I want to say thank you for taking the time to spend time with me and with the audience to share this with us. And I also know that people are hearing this and they're saying, God damn it, finally a therapist who's done talking about how much they like working with creatives, who has real wisdom and insight into working with this uh-huh. process, and they want to meet you and they want to talk with you um, about how they can make this change in their lives. For those people out there, how can they reach you? And how can they get to know you better? Well, you can Google me, uh, uh, Phil Stark, writer, therapist. And mm-hmm. That'll come up. Uh, my website is starktalk.net. My book, Dude, Where's My Car? Tharsis. Uh, the title really is The Gift That Keeps on Giving. It's available <laughs> on Amazon. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. I love to post about the book and, and be funny and creative in that way, too. Well, and I'm actually getting a text right now that they're out at they're out of stock at the Hollywood Burbank. I just got airport. that text as well. I, so, you know what? Yeah, I, I know. To, I, I gotta throw another set. box in the car and and get over there. You absolutely Re- restock must. the shows. Order off Amazon or one of your favorite online retailers right now because you will not be able to get secure a copy when you're already on your trip. Um, and otherwise, check Phil out at StarkTalk.net. You will be glad that you did. Phil, thanks so much for being on the podcast and thanks for making time for us. Listen, I really appreciate I appreciate all that you do, both as a supervisor and a podcaster and a therapist. So it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's amazing.
That is a wrap for this week's episode of the More Exemplary Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to Phil as much as I enjoyed talking to him. He really is a delightful person and a very, very insightful and gifted clinician. Over the last 18 months or so of supervising him, I have noticed many of the strengths that he has that I don't necessarily have. And it's an interesting and humbling experience to supervise somebody who is, you know, really has surpassed you in certain ways. And so Phil has a really wonderful gift as I hope was evident in this podcast, for helping people go really deep. Even though we talked about some of the content today, Phil is really great at helping clients to go beneath the content into their own process and to understand them better. And it's no secret to me why his clients enjoy working with him so much. And yet, with that being said, Phil's star, so to speak, is on the rise. He's written this incredible book. People are getting his name out there, so I would recommend that you reach out and talk to him sooner rather than later because a dude like that schedule is going to get full, and then there won't be any time or space left for any of us, not even me, because he will be too big time. So that's it. Have a wonderful week. Keep being you, and I look forward to seeing you next week on the More Exemplary Podcast. That's it for this episode of the More Exemplary Podcast. If you'd like to have a question answered on the More Exemplary Podcast, please send an email to moreexemplary at gmail.com. If you're interested in transforming your life, whether it's romantically, professionally, historically, or any other way through psychotherapy, please visit me at www.nickbognertherapy.com. If you love this podcast, please tell all your friends about it. And if you don't have any friends, then please tell some strangers about it in a not creepy way. Subscribing and leaving positive reviews helps me to be able to make more episodes of this podcast. And if you're still listening at this point, then I suspect you've fallen asleep with your earbuds in. Sleep well, and I can't wait to join you for the next episode of the More Exemplary Podcast.